Untold Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool. Come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Just a programming note. There's uh, no HOA tonight, no live stream on YouTube. Uh, also, uh, we're suspending our, our weekly remote viewing experiment, What's in the Box, but both of those segments will return next week. Rosemary Ellen Guiley will be with us in the second hour, our paranormal investigator, and she's written yet another book. I think this is something like 70 books for Rosemary. She's probably writing as we speak. She'll join us in the second hour, and we'll talk werewolves just in time for, uh, well, as we head into the Halloween season, I suppose. Got to tell you, we're all scratching our heads, asking ourselves, where did the summer go? And uh, here we are already into October. But I have to say, I had a great summer. And I, one of the things that I wanted to do with the boys, my twin boys, is to take them to a ball game in the United States. And we went down to Detroit to Comerica Park. If you haven't been, it's been around 20 years since it was built, but it's built in the tradition, the style of the early 1900s with the brick and the wrought iron. And it is truly a jewel in terms of the new American ballparks. And uh, in the outfield, of course, you have uh, statues to the great Tigers uh, of years gone by, including Willie Horton, who played here for the Toronto Blue Jays, of course. But then you have Al Kaline and Charlie Garinger, the great second baseman, and Hank Greenberg, and, of course, Ty Cobb. And the boys were asking me, they're interested in the history of baseball, they were asking me about Ty Cobb. And so what I did was I perpetuated a lie. I told them that while Ty Cobb was a brilliant ball player, in fact, the first ball player to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, a stellar base stealer, base runner, and of course, one of the greatest hitters ever, if not the greatest hitters ever. But I said he was not a nice man. He was an avowed racist. He would beat up black people simply for crossing his path. And it turns out that much of what we have been told about Ty Cobb isn't true at all. Who was he, in fact? Was he the greatest hitter in the history of baseball? A hazard on the base paths? Or was he a psychopathic racist who sharpened his spikes to injure opposing players and, as I say, killed black men and beat up white men for pleasure? Well, it turns out the real Ty Cobb was far more complex. And again, much of what we know about Ty Cobb is simply not true. And it's uh, really, uh, the record really is set straight quite nicely in a, uh, a new book, called Ty Cobb, A Terrible Beauty, by Charles Learson, who's also the author of Blood and Smoke, a true tale of mystery, mayhem, and the birth of the Indy 500, and Crazy Good, the true story of Dan Patch, the most famous horse in America. He's written for Sports Illustrated, Esquire, Rolling Stone, Newsweek, The New York Times Magazine, and others. He's also been an editor at Sports Illustrated, People and Us Weekly. A great pleasure to welcome Charles Learson to The Conspiracy Show. Hello, Charles. How are you? Hi, Richard. I'm fine and nice to be here with you. So I perpetuated this lie to my boys because uh, I had no reason to doubt it. I've, I've heard these stories about Ty Cobb forever. Were you in the same boat when you set out to write this book that you believed all of these terrible things about one of the greatest players of all time? 
I was. I was right where you are, so I can't get too upset with you for thinking that and telling your kids that. I think most people were. I mean, one thing I found out when I started this book was that most people, if you said Ty Cobb, they would say racist or terrible human being or guy who spiked people. And I was in that camp, and when I first pitched my book to the publisher, uh, I pitched it as a book about the most horrible baseball player that ever lived and 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 even the, one of the more horrible humans that ever lived and they said fine because the, the, the people at the publisher uh publishing house they knew a lot about baseball but but, but they also believed these myths and they said fine and we started off on that basis but it didn't take me long doing some research to find out that the myths were uh you know uh, <laughs> were powerful but uh, easily cracked by the fact. Which is amazing, because you mentioned once to me before that within minutes, these this narrative began to unravel. Within minutes, had anyone bothered to do just a little bit of research, uh, they could have um, they could easily uh, have uh, dispelled these myths. That's right, Richard. I I worked on the book for more than four years, but uh, it was within it was in the first ten or fifteen minutes that I began to find facts that that contradicted the myth and that were inconvenient truths that that were I realized were going to be hard to line up with the myth, and then there were only there, there were only more of those. You know, it, it, I I learned a lot in doing this book, not just about Ty Cobb, but in a, in, a, in the way that uh, about human nature, and now we. Now we call it fake news, but it, it, how fake news works. And, and one of the ways it works is that uh, when people hear a story that they like to believe, they latch onto it and then they repeat it and they embroider on it. So it's, it's partly the news outlet that's putting it forward, and it's uh, even to a greater degree sometimes it's the, it's the repetition of the story. Um, back in the day, it was uh, it was just mouth to mouth and people telling stories and in bars or over the kitchen table or something like that about baseball players. Now it's, of course, the Internet has souped this up to hyperspeed. But but that's I found out how myths get perpetrated. Right, and then fathers telling their sons. Exactly. I'm sure my father told me about Ty Cobb. When I first learned, I, I learned from him. Well, let's, let's talk. Uh, I, let me remind listeners, Charles Learson is with us, the author of Ty Cobb, A Terrible Beauty, and uh, fitting that we talk about uh, the greatest baseball player ever, perhaps, uh, as we approach uh, postseason play. It's always a time, uh, you know, to discuss baseball. But for me, I, you know, it's, there's never a wrong time to talk baseball. Uh, let's talk about his some of his amazing accomplishments on the field. Uh, he, I mean, here's a player who, who played in the dead ball era, so he, he wasn't a home run hitter like a Babe Ruth, uh, but he did just about everything else. That's right. He uh, he had the highest batting average of all time, and it still is the highest batting average of all time. And he played 23 and a half seasons in the major leagues, and it's uh, his batting average is 366 or 367. There's people who still uh, have bar fights over these over that one point difference. But he, he at one time he held dozens of records. He holds still holds the record, for example, for uh, uh, stealing home. And uh, that says something about the kind of uh, player he was. He stole home 54 times in his career. Uh, he was he was a very daring base runner. For for decades, he held the record for stolen bases. For decades, he held the record for most base hits until Pete Rose uh, famously broke it. So, but on, with the batting average, he still holds that record. And he was an amazing 
uh, a player. He, somebody once said that uh, Ty Cobb getting a walk was more exciting than Babe Ruth getting a home run because when Ruth hit the home run, it was over in a flash, the excitement. But when Cobb got on base uh, a walk or, or a single, that's when the fun began because he would scratch and paw and trick his way around the bases, and it was it was very exciting to watch. I mean, here's a guy who once stole second, third, and home on three consecutive pitches, a guy who once turned a little tap back to the pitcher's mound into an inside-the-park home run. How is so, that even possible? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, a lot of people doubt that it is possible, and they challenge me on it, but what, what happened in his case was that there was a man on third when he hit this little dribbler back to the mound, and that guy got caught in a rundown, and Cobb was watching out of his left eye and was and was hurrying around the bases, and that guy, just as he got tagged out, Cobb ran right by him and ran home, and Cobb didn't even have to slide uh, to score that inside-the-park home run from a, a, a dribbler back to the, the mound. You, you never knew what was going to happen when, when, when Cobb played the game. And uh, so he, was, he not only had a lot of great numbers, but he was, he was, he was very excited, and he kind of invented this way of playing. You know, Ty Cobb came up in 1905, and he played until 1928. And uh, baseball as a big-time major league sport was brand new when he came up in 1905, just two or three seasons old. And so he kind of invented this way of uh, uh, of succeeding in baseball. He, he always said he wanted to be a mental hazard for the opposition. That was his philosophy, to distract and and, 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 you know, and, and get them making errors and, and so he could make his way around the bases. And that's one reason why he sometimes wasn't so popular with the opposition because uh, he made, he made fools of them in the process. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about some of the, uh, the, the things that have been, uh, that he's been labeled with. And one, of course, is that he was an avowed racist, not only an, an avowed racist, but that he would, he would literally uh, beat black uh, people up simply for crossing in the, the street in front of him, uh, or the, of course, the the most notorious incident where he was alleged to have murdered uh, a, a black man in a restaurant, I believe, in Cleveland, uh, just because mm-hmm. this black waiter was quote end quote uppity. So, right. what did you find out? Well, the important thing to remember, first of all, about the Ty Cobb myths is that the real myths of Ty Cobb, the monster, he was always known as a very aggressive player and a, a grouchy guy, you might say, and a hard guy to get along with. You know, so were Joe DiMaggio and Ted Williams and, and quite a few others. But the, the, the myths of Cobb, the monstrous human being, all started after his death in 1961, based on no new evidence. Uh, so that's important to remember there, but just based on assertions by, by uh, hack sport, uh, one particular hack sports writer who got the who got the ball rolling. But but uh, the, the myths about Ty Cobb being a racist were uh, attributed, just came from the, the very fact that Cobb was born in Georgia. He's known as the Georgia Peach. That was his nickname. He was born in Georgia in 1886 in, in rural Georgia. So you say, well, how can a man born then and there not be a racist? Right, a safe assumption. Right. First of all, there's no record of him. This business of, uh, I hear it so often, the avowed racist. You know, I say, to, well, where did he make this vow? Show me, show me, show me where he made this vow. There's no evidence there. But meanwhile, apart from that, that there's no evidence of racism, there's also the fact that what I found when I look back into the records, I found that his great grandfather, 
uh, was a preacher who preached against slavery, that Cobb actually came from a long line of abolitionists. His great-grandfather preached against slavery and was run out of town for it. His grandfather uh, refused to fight in the uh, Civil War because of over the slavery issue. And his father, Cobb's father, was an educator and a, and a state senator for a while who stuck up for his black constituents and broke up a lynch mob in town. So that's the, the background that Cobb comes from. You might say, well, what does that mean about him? But the first time Cobb was asked about uh, race was in 1953, actually, after the, the uh, Texas League, the minor league, had integrated, finally, belatedly, after Jackie Robinson. And, and, and Cobb said, I found this quote, he told the Sporting News, he said, the Negro should be accepted wholeheartedly and not grudgingly. The Negro has the right to play professional baseball and who's to say he has not? And that's the that's the one and only time Ty Cobb went, went, ever went on the record about integration. Right. It's the one time. The first time he was asked, and that's what he said. And by the time he said that, he'd already attended many Negro League games. He, he'd been asked by the Negro Leagues to throw out the first pitch at, at Negro League games, which he did. He sat in the dugout with the Negro League players. You can find his name on baseballs signed by all the Negro League stars, and there's Ty Cobb, the one white man. So the, the the truth is actually 180 degrees opposite. Right. I mean, method. that does not sound uh, like uh, that wouldn't have been, you know, he, he certainly wouldn't have been welcomed at a Negro League game uh, had he, uh, you know, killed a, a, a black waiter in a, in a restaurant simply for being uppity or whether he, you know, beat black people. Listen, we have to uh, take a time out, Charles. We'll come back and we'll talk about some of the other uh, charges against Ty Cobb. Charles Learson, the author of Ty Cobb, A Terrible Beauty. Right here on The Conspiracy Show, my name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Charles Learson, the author of Ty Cobb, A Terrible Beauty. You know, one of the arguments uh, when, when uh, Hall of Fame uh, voting season would come around and people would say, well, how can you deny Pete Rose entry into the Hall of Fame? How can you deny Barry Bonds entry into the Hall of Fame when they allowed Ty Cobb into the Hall of Fame? He was a racist and a, and a murderer and a monster and, and so forth. And uh, it turns out uh, that the very first player ever voted into the Hall of Fame with more votes than Babe Ruth, we should point out, was none of those things. Not a saint, but certainly not a monster. And it's all chronicled in a, in a new book by Charles Learson called Ty Cobb, A Terrible Beauty. Uh, so Charles, the, um, earlier we were, you were dispelling the, uh, the myths that, uh, that, that Ty Cobb was a racist, that he was certainly in favor of integration, um, attended uh, Negro League games throughout the first pitch. But what about this charge that he actually killed a man in Cleveland for being uppity? Well, that, that, that I heard a lot. You know, when I was doing my research, several people said to me, are you going to mention uh, this that he killed this young black waiter in Cleveland for being uppity? And I, I said, well, sort of, because if you look back at that case in Cleveland, what happened was now... As you just said, Cobb was no saint. He got in a lot of fights. I don't make him out to be a saint in the book. Uh, but he came home late, with a, back to the hotel rather late, with a, probably had a few drinks in him. He got in a scuffle um, at, in, in 1909 with uh, this is with uh, the, the front desk man, the, the night watchman, and the uh, and and the, the bellman who took him up 
upstairs to his room, and he wound up in a fight with them and, and they had to go to court. Uh, they've been described in a book, another book, as, as being black. I found out very easily by looking at the census records uh, of the day that those, both those men were, were white and no one was killed. Um, in, a, in another book, this uh, sports writer who's responsible for most of the lies in, of, about Cobb, his name's Al Stump, he, he, he mentioned this murder, but, but there's no uh, a district attorney in, the, uh, in, that, in that county investigated it uh, belatedly uh, decades later, could find no record of any kind of murder that uh, he described. There's, you know, if, if, if cop murdered someone, there was a, there's, no, there's no record, there's no stories about it, there's no, uh, there's no body, there's no uh, incident that matches up with it. Cop didn't, didn't murder anyone. Uh, and, and that's the case of how it's like a game of telephones. People tell and retell a story, they exaggerate and embroider on it, and a fight with a white man became a murder of a black man, believe it or not, over the years. Uh, and and no incidents that you could find uh, involving Ty Cobb, even uh, getting in some sort of a, a, a fisticuff. You said he liked to fight. Uh, oh yes, with with, with any with any black uh, black people. Yes, there's one case uh, that I found. He uh, now Cobb. Um, people got in more fights back in those days in the early 1900s it, it, it seemed to be a more of a macho era and you went quickly more quickly from just uh, heated arguments to actually throwing punches it certainly was certainly yeah. it was, right. I guess that's what the you know the the, the, the duel which had been <laughs> obviously and for good reason banned uh, sort of right. I guess morphed, morphed into let's take this outside and sell it like gentlemen right exactly that, that, and, and, and that happened a lot often a lot more often than it does today but even in that even in that milieu, Cobb was known as a guy who, who fought a lot. His great friend, Walter Johnson, the great pitcher, also a Hall of Famer, said, you know, Cobb never started a fight, but it didn't take very much to get to say, you know, you didn't have to say very much, and soon you'd be rolling around on the floor with him uh, fighting. Uh, so, you know, he, he did get in a lot of fights, and one of the people he fought with, he was there's a story, uh, he was crossing the street in Detroit, and, and some... Uh, street workers talked to him rudely, he thought, and, and said to get over to the, to the side, don't step here on boring this asphalt, and Cobb wound up in a fight with him, and that man was black. Now, Cobb fought with many people, uh, the vast majority of them were white, but they've been often reported to be, to be black in books, and I don't know, there's one book that came out in the 80s by a man named Charles Alexander, it's quite quite well-known in the cop circles, this book, and he, he identifies person after person as black, who, who you could very easily find in the census records and other records of the day were, were white. This, this street worker was black. Cobb made a point of saying, I didn't, you know, I would have acted the same way to any man who, 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 who talked to me the way he did. And, you know, who knows? It's hard to say, you know, what racial overtones it were in the heat of the moment, but, but, but that's the only case of Cobb. Uh, getting in a scuffle with a black man, uh, and, and there are many cases, more cases of white men, uh, but there were many also misreported cases of people described as black who, who turned out to be white. Right, but that is, that's a, a long way from the reports that he would, he would cross the street, uh, you know, to throttle right. a, a black person or beat them with a baseball bat simply for being in his way and so forth. 
Right, a very famous, uh, well, not famous, but a very well-respected baseball writer named Timothy Gay wrote a book about uh, Trish Speaker, who was a contemporary of Cobb's. And in that book, he said, the author said that Cobb could, would, would pistol whip any black man he saw walking down the street, any black person he saw walking down the street. I mean, it, it, that's absurd. You couldn't get to 23 and a half years in the major leagues acting like that. Uh, you would have met your measure and, and, and whoever you were trying to do. You know, that's, that's crazy. And I should have known the myth was so crazy, the myths about Cobb. I should have known, I should have been more suspicious of them to begin with, actually, and not accepting them. But, but they were so extreme that, 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 that they almost fall apart on their own sometimes. I believe you also mentioned in the book that, that uh, Ty Cobb once also went on record as saying that, I, I think it was Willie Mays or Hank Aaron, was the only baseball player, period, he would pay money to see play. Right. He said that about Willie Mays. He said uh, he also said at other times that Roy Campanella, of course, who was a black player catcher for the Dodgers, uh, was was uh, the only uh, 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 player the player that reminded him most of himself. He praised Hank Aaron's skill and intelligence as a batter. Um, he, he he selected uh, uh, picked out black players for praise and 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 said that black people should be accepted wholeheartedly and not grudgingly at a time in the early fifties when. Uh, you could look back in the record and you find out that other people were saying, other players and managers were saying, well, I don't know, it's a little soon, uh, I'm not in favor of this, I'm for the traditional way. They had different ways of saying it. Cobb said, accept wholeheartedly and not grudgingly, and he he he, he spoke up in praise of, of, of the play, of, uh, and he was a hard guy to get a compliment from, but he praised uh, those black players who deserved praise, who were some of the greatest players of their era. Of all time, actually. Did he ever meet Jackie Robinson? Not that I know of. Uh, but he, as I say, he was he was in favor of that era and in, uh, of that uh, not that era, but in favor of that uh, development of baseball. And um, and uh, you know, and he was uh, uh, he, he was all for integration. Charles Learson is the author of Ty Cobb: A Terrible Beauty. He joins me on the Conspiracy Show. Uh, Charles was also an editor at Sports Illustrated, People, and uh, Us Weekly. And uh, the other area, of course, that we have to uh, discuss is his his play on the field. You mentioned that he was a fighter. But we also hear uh, this legend that Ty Cobb would sharpen his spikes so that he would deliberately attempt to injure players as he was tearing around the Bates paths and, and sliding aggressively into second base and home plate and so forth. What did you find out about that, Charles? Well, what I found out was was very interesting. I, I couldn't find any player. Uh, I found that some of the uh, sports writers from the uh, towns other than Detroit, the opposing towns, kind of try to whip that up that business with spikes. We have to put ourselves back in the early 20th century when Cobb first came up. Spikes were a, a new phenomenon, and the people who were sitting in the stands watching this game of baseball probably had not grown up playing baseball and, and wearing spikes. You know, they, they didn't play Little League. They hadn't played. They may, they may have played some Sandlot pickup games, but so spikes were this mysterious thing. I found a lot of stories in newspapers about how spikes were going to kill people. And, uh, and and they were a dangerous sort of science fiction uh, almost uh, uh, device, you know, uh, uh, something that people were afraid of. So you have to, you have to keep that in mind. 
then you think of Cobb, who was very aggressive on the base paths. So some of the sports writers said this about him, but I could not find a, pl- a player who did not praise Cobb for his skill and his, his base running ability. And the attitude of the players seemed to be, well, the, some of the civilians may think this about Cobb and Spikes, but we, the players, the guy who played, uh, played the game with him, we know, we know differently. One catcher said uh, that, that Cobb is too pretty a slider ever to, ever to spike someone. Ty Cobb was a scientist of the game. He had nine different types of slides, and virtually all of them had to do with being elusive and getting away from the tag, not sliding right into it. Um, so that's important to know. It's also important to remember, as he often said, that he felt he was entitled as the base runner to this little, what he called, my little patch right in front of the base. And it's true, the, 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 the runner is entitled to that. And he can slide in there with his spikes down and, and slide in. And if you want to stick your hand there, you do that, as those guys said in, in that, that day, you do, that's on your watch. Right. You in in it. hockey, so, it would be uh, an analogous to, to a player drifting into the goalie's crease. And exactly. if Billy Smith with the Islanders uh, didn't want you in front of him or, or um, Ron Hextall with the Flyers, he'd, he'd wield that, uh, that paddle like an axe and, and <laughs> your ankles be damned. Right. And exactly, and and as far as the uh, this uh, filing of the spikes and the sharpening of the spikes, I found that that was a, a folk myth in baseball that went back to the 1880s and had been applied to various people, probably none of whom actually did it. One was John McGraw, the great uh, giant manager and the Hall of Fame player. Uh, and Cobb never sat on the d- top step, or some people say on the top of the dugout, cackling and filing his spikes. He never filed his spikes at all. In fact, in 1910, he was tired of this rumor about him and this accusation. He wrote a letter to Ben Johnson, the president of the American League, asking that the Johnson pass a rule that players had to dull their spikes with a file and that the umpire should come around and inspect them uh, before each game to make sure they weren't too sharp. So he went out of his way to, to try to shake that. But, you know, when people latch on to a good story, uh, you know, when the public latches on, they, they don't want to let go. And that's, that's what Cobb's downfall in terms of his reputation, both the spiking and the racism and, and the other things that were said about him. So it was, it was too good a story to examine very closely, and, and people would rather go with, uh, you know, there's that line from um, the movie, The Legend of uh, uh, Liberty Balance, yes. or The Man Who Shot Liberty Balance, when, when the legend beats the fact, print the legend, you know, and that's, that's what happened to Ty Cobb. Which is, uh, you know, he's he's been dead and gone for fifty-seven years, fifty-six years. Right. Uh, but he still has family. He has descendants who have had to live with this slander uh, right. for for generations. And uh, along came, or along comes Charlie uh, Learson and um, uh, you know redeems Ty Cobb. Uh, albeit posthumously, but uh, better late than never. Listen, we'll take another time out. We'll come back, and uh, I want to delve into the uh, the sharpened spike legend a little bit more. There's a great story or a great photograph, of course, uh, involving a catcher with the St. Louis Browns, and it looks for all the world like Ty Cobb is sliding in there trying to trying to injure the catcher. Uh, you'll uh, you'll tell us about that when we come back. The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay right with us. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. 
So why are you up? Welcome back. We're here with Charles Learson, the author of Ty Cobb, A Terrible Beauty. We were talking about Ty Cobb, the legend that he would sharpen his spikes and, uh, with the intent of injuring opposing uh, players as he rounded the bases, and you've really disabused us of that. In fact, as you mentioned, in 1910, he wrote a letter to the the, the commissioner of the American League, Ben Johnson, uh, d- demanding that they institute a rule that all players must dull their spikes and that they would have someone go around inspecting them and so forth. But there is that photograph of Ty Cobb sliding into home plate, and there's a catcher there with the St. Louis Browns, uh, and it, it looks like he's he's aiming for his crotch, Charles. It looks all the, wor- the world that he's trying to injure this catcher. Tell us about it. Well, you know, sometimes, Richard, when I'm on talking about Cobb on the Internet, uh, uh, or posting something on the book's page, people will, uh, people who, who want to believe that he was, he was a, you know, spikes crazed runner will send me this picture. I, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have seen it. The, the, the catcher whose name is uh, Paul Critchell, he's, uh, crouching, uh, it's, it's this frozen moment from 1912 and Cobb is very high off the ground and it really looks like he's coming in, uh, right as you say, at his crotch and it looks like Critchell as I say in the book, looks like that famous picture of Lee Harvey Oswald, where he's he's squinting right when he gets shot, and it's it, and people will send that picture, and they'll just they won't even say anything. They'll just send that along as their way to refute what I'm saying about about Cobb. But the funny thing is, Richel, who later the catcher there, who later became a famous Yankee scout, he's actually the guy who discovered Lou Gehrig. Um, uh, in, in uh, later in the 1950s, I found he gave an interview in which he said that that Cobb was not trying to spike him. That the angle of the photo is very deceptive. Cobb was trying to knock the ball out of his hand as as he ran for home, and he succeeded in doing that with his foot. He knocked it all the way back to the backstop, and then he and Critchell collided and and rolled around on the floor and on the ground and, and, and fought a little bit. But the, the amazing thing, if you, if you keep that picture in your mind, is that Critchell said, in a way, it was really my fault. I was standing right there in the base paths where he had a right to be, and he came crashing into me. But he never he never was trying to, you know, stab uh, Critchell with his spikes. He was trying to knock the ball away. And you can imagine what an exciting play that is and, and a daring play on Cobb's part and why Cobb was the the biggest draw in in the American League because of the way he played. And what's interesting is, if Cobb was, in fact, this vile human being, why would Critchell go out of his way, almost, to defend Cobb in that particular play? That's right. Cobb had a lot of friends. He, he, uh, one of the myths about him is that he had no friends, that he was a lonely guy. Everyone's heard that line in Field of Dreams, where the all the ghostly ball players assemble and they say we didn't invite Cobb because no one liked that SOB, you know. And 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 that they, they that was Shoeless Joe's ghost that said right, that. Right, they put right. in the mouth of Shoeless Joe Jackson, who who actually in in, in reality was was a good friend of, of Cobb's, not one of his closest friends, but certainly was a friend. You know, Cobb had. People on the team who were, who were who were jealous of them, some of them, and also he was a hard guy to get along with. He did not suffer laziness on the part of his uh, teammates or or goofing off. Or in those days, there was a lot of drinking uh, that was going on, and uh, uh, he, Cobb was didn't couldn't suffer fools or suffer incompetence. So he he 
he did have some people, quite a few, that he turned off. But as I mentioned before, Joe DiMaggio, Ted Williams. Ted Williams spit at fans. And, you know, Joe DiMaggio had a lot of people who didn't didn't like him. Those guys were could be difficult to get along with, and, 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 and so could Cobb. But Cobb also had plenty of friends, including Shoeless Joe Jackson, plenty of friends among the sports writers. Don't forget it was the sports writers who voted Cobb first into the Hall of Fame. If they'd hated him so much, they wouldn't couldn't have given him the most votes. Excellent and point. He had, he had sports writers at his house as, as, as house guests. Uh, Mo Berg, the catcher, sometimes Cobb is said to be anti-Semitic, but Mo Berg, who was Jewish, the catcher, you know, was a frequent house guest of Cobb's and called Cobb an intellectual giant. Uh, that's the thing about Cobb. He was constantly reading books, history books. He loved biographies. He loved stories of Napoleon. Uh, he was he was voted the most popular player in Chicago, the most popular out-of-town player in Chicago, Ty Cobb. And, and uh, he was at a ceremony at the plate, was given a stack of books all wrapped up in wrapping paper. So, you know, he was he was thought of as popular. You know, sure, if you were on the other team, if you were cheering for the other team, you you were uh, you, you didn't like Cobb because he was he was dangerous to your your team, so you didn't like him in that sense. Sure, I mean, I know I know uh, uh, I've talked to people who played against the great Bobby Orr, who everybody I thought everybody loved Bobby Orr. The opposing players hated Bobby Orr. <laughs> So right. that's so true. Listen, we got to take a time out, Charles. This was a short segment. We'll come back and uh, finish up. Uh, Ty Cobb, a terrible beauty, and uh, really the uh, the redemption of a um, a baseball legend. Thanks all to uh, the research and hard work of Charles Learson. Back with more of the Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down, and it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are here with Charles Learson. The book is Ty Cobb, A Terrible Beauty. If you're a ball fan, uh, do yourself a favor, go out and get it. And if, even if you're not a ball fan, I th- you know, this is, Charles, this is really a, a textbook case of... You mentioned fake news uh, earlier, and you know, 2017 really is is the year of fake news. We've hear, heard that term bandied about so often, but here is a perfect example. But also the damage that it can do. I mean, here's a a great ball player uh, who has been so maligned and so vilified, and all unjustifiably so. And it, all it took was one uh, professional journalist. Uh, to do a little bit of research, and um, you know, really, I hope this sets the record straight. Has there been any any pushback? The book reviewers at New York Times upset because it doesn't fit their narrative. Well, you know, one thing I didn't expect at all is that the, the, the re- reaction to the book sort of divides in some ways along political lines. That that people uh, on the right are are, are e- more eager to hear the news that uh, that, that Tykov wasn't a racist and that he was uh, uh, he was he was maligned by the media uh, and the the people who are on the left uh, uh, are sometimes resist the idea that some of those people think that I'm diminishing the idea of racism in in, in baseball and in sports. I'm, I'm not. I mean, how could I? Black, black people were banned from baseball. It does. It, 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 you know, it, it was uh, until 1947. It, 
there's nothing, no way to sugarcoat that, you know. So, uh, and and it, it didn't all go away with Jackie Robinson either. So I'm not I'm not doing that. But some, the, the pushback I get is not usually. I know this sounds a little self-aggrandizing, but not from people who've read the book, but from people who like their like their myths and, and like like the myth that their father told them and and don't want to change that and, and can't believe that after. They've been hearing all their life that Ty Cobb was a certain way. That people have been say, telling me, I heard this for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. One thing I learned uh, writing this book was that repetition is not the same thing as evidence. So the same assertion made over and over is not more and more and more evidence. You know, and um, I didn't go into this to, 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 to be Ty Cobb's lawyer and to change his image. I went into it actually to bolster the image of him as a monster. I thought I'd have a a better book that way, but I had to go with the, with the with the way the evidence was leading me, and I had to let the chips fall where they may, and, and I came up with a very different character than the Ty Cobb of myth. Well, the movie A Cobb, starring Tommy Lee Jones, and I believe it was Robert Wool who mm-hmm. played Al Stump, the writer, Stumpy, right. and uh, both great actors. I mean, I enjoy their work very much, but that movie just perpetuated all of the lies and then some. Exactly, yeah. Well, I, I talked to uh, Ron Shelton, the director of the movie, when I was doing my research. And, uh, of course, so many more people see a movie than will read any book. And so it, it's had a powerful effect, even though it was a box office disaster when it opened and didn't stay in the theaters long. People have watched it on, uh, you know, CDs and on Netflix and all now. Uh, and I said, uh, you know, that was based on the work of this same Al Stump, uh, who, who wrote the first uh you know, untrue stories about Cobb to 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 uh, just strictly for sensationalism, because he could sell this to a sensational magazine, and the more sensational the story was, the more he would get paid for it. But that's the that's the the really bad part of paying money for for gossip, because you, you know the people will make it worse to to get more money. So uh, the, the movie was based on Al Stump's article, perpetuated these myths, and uh, and uh, I said to Ron Shelton, uh, you know, where did you get, there was a scene in there where Cobb tries to rape uh, a cigarette girl in a Reno casino and uh, and fails to do that, and it's just, it's horrible, it's just this ugly, horrible scene. I said, where did you get that from? That wasn't even at Stump's article that he was an attempted rapist. And uh, Shelton said, oh, we made that up on the, on the set because we thought it was the sort of thing Ty Cobb would do. Unbelievable. You know? Unbelievable. So that's the way, see, that's the embroidery right there and the extra added filigree uh, that people put on an already bad myth. Well, let's talk about Stumpy, Al Stump. He he met with, with Ty Cobb. I mean, Cobb did concede to interview, to be interviewed, correct? Yeah, they had a complicated uh, sort of history. They, Stump, uh, Ty Cobb died in 1961 and about 19... 19- 59 or 60, Stump signed up to ghostwrite Ty Cobb's autobiography. One of those books that we see them all the time. They say, you know, by the player as told to so-and-so or with someone else. And the other person's invariably a professional writer, usually a sports writer. So uh, Stump was a sports writer, oh, you know, a long-time sports writer, got this gig writing Ty Cobb's book in which Cobb wanted to finally set the record straight Still in 59, people were saying he was a dirty player. He was tired of that. Uh, he was also a very sick man at that point. He had cancer and a few other things. And um, Stump started to write the book, 
and wouldn't show it to Cobb. This is Cobb's own autobiography. And, and, uh, and, and Cobb finally, I had, I found letters and, and, and that no one had published before with Cobb finally demanding from Stump to get a look at the book. When Cobb showed it, when Stump showed it to him, Cobb went to, to the group. It wasn't, it was just silly stuff, lies. It, it wasn't bad stuff about Cobb because it was Cobb telling his own story, but it was, it, it was filled with mistakes and filled with a lot of things that Stump just made up that, that didn't happen. Cobb was threatening to sue, uh, to stop that book, which uh, was eventually published called Ty Cobb, My Life in Baseball. came out right after his death in 1961. Cobb died before he could file the lawsuits and get it stopped. The book didn't sell very well. And then Stump, a couple of months later, pitched this story to a magazine called True, which is one of these, like the National Enquirer's salacious kind of barbershop uh, uh, magazines. And... It pitched the story of uh, his his time that he spent with Cobb, which was really just a few days. Stump just spent a few days with Cobb and went off and made up the rest. But he exaggerated the amount of time he spent with him, and he depicted him as a gun-waving misogynist who was threatening everyone in the in the in his own family, who was who was riding around Reno waving a gun and getting going to the bank president's house to get his check stopped and all kinds of crazy stuff didn't say anything about racism or anything else that came later and this story came out and it caused a sensation uh no one had seen anything like this written about a, a baseball player before um this is nine years before jim bowden's ball four uh which kind of blew the lid off baseball players not being like angels and uh boy scouts uh but so no one had ever seen this and, and the sports writers rushed to Cobb's defense but in the process, they wound up disseminating this salacious, titillating story all the more, and more people found out about it, and the people kind of liked this idea of this crazy, wild man that they thought was just a cranky old ball player uh, running loose, and that's how, that's how it began. But like a forest fire, it began with just a little spark, and, uh, and, and, and that was the spark that did it, that article. And then Stump would later write a book. Charles Alexander would write a book and so on and so forth. And then uh, Ken Burns would make his movie, his documentary about baseball, in which he repeated the myths. Uh, then there was the, the, Ron, the Ron Shelton movie called Cobb, which repeated them right. again. Just, you, I just want to jump in. Sorry to, for the interruption, but Ken Burns, yeah. I mean, people look at that documentary, and I have the book that accompanied that, uh, that documentary. That's for, for baseball fans like me, that's like the Bible. And so right. for Ken Burns to repeat a lot of these lies, my word, right. I mean, that's so damaging. Well, Ken Burns is not a historian. He's not a researcher. He just takes what's out there and makes it look good and puts it on a, puts, makes a good visual story out of it. And that's what he did with, with Tygon. He just, he didn't question what was out there, but question the myths. He just took them and, and put them out there. But I'm very proud to say that Dan Okrent, who's a, a, a sports writer and editor, also worked, uh, at Sports Illustrated as I did, who was, who was in that film talking about how Ty Cobb was a disgrace to baseball, has said on the record that since reading my book, he, he would never say that. And if the Burns ever went back to the subject, he would admonish Burns and tell him, that uh, Ken Burns, you've done, you know, you got to set the record straight about Ty Cobb. So he, he's changed his mind after reading my book. Dan Oakman has, and I'm, that's I'm, one of the things I'm proudest of. Right, as well you should be. Uh, what about any of the other? I was just going to say, it's too bad someone like an Ernie Harwell 
the longtime broadcaster with the Tigers, never had a chance to, to read this book. Um, what about someone like Vin Scully, who just recently retired? Did, did he, has he read it? Do you know? Did, did you hear from Vin Scully? I haven't heard. I haven't heard from him. Um, I, uh, I, you know, I, I, the book has gotten very, you know, uh, been very well received. It's won two prizes from uh, Sabre, the Society of American Baseball Research. It was the uh, the, the vote of the best baseball book of the year. Won the, the Casey Award. It's called. Um, and um, uh, so uh, it's gotten a, a, a great reception. And throughout baseball, I, I uh, you know, I've seen people interviewed, managers interviewed. And I've noticed the book in the back behind them in their in their office on a couple of occasions. So uh, it, it, I, I think it is changing minds. Uh, but a book, you know, uh, has to be read, has to be consumed, and has to be thought about it. And a lot of people have to get over this hump of. Uh, of, of, of being open to a story that that clashes with the story that they've heard all their life. Right. I mean, one one book in the face of fifty six years now, almost sixty years of lies that have been perpetuated over and over. That's a that's a tall order to change minds uh, wholesale all at once. But uh, hopefully, bit by bit. What about uh, the descendants of Ty Cobb? He has grandchildren, I believe, still alive. Does he not? Right. There are a number of grandchildren still living and. One of them, Herschel Cobb, uh, I interviewed for the book, and he wrote a book of his own, which is actually very interesting uh, and, and well-written book about, uh, about what it was like to have Ty Cobb as a grandfather and how he was a you know kindly man, the classic grandfather, and not not you know not not the, a monster and uh, at all, and, and, the, and within the family he was you know beloved. Uh, um, and um, since then, I've also met, so since the book came out, I've met Cindy Cobb, who lives in uh, New York State, uh, as I do, and, um, and uh, uh, Peggy Cobb, who lives in South Carolina, uh, and they've all, we've, we've kind of become friends. But I didn't, I didn't set out to please any member of the Cobb family or to, or to be Ty Cobb's lawyer, you know, I, or, or, to, or to make a saint out of him. I, I set out just to find the facts and, and tell the story and and this is the way it's it's worked out it, to me it's I, I can't find any other story in history that's such an extreme example of uh, of, of people going with lies with Cobb it had a, you had to have the right set of circumstances he was he was already dead so he couldn't defend himself when the when the real big lies started to emerge and it, it had been so long since he'd been uh, uh, in baseball, he he didn't stay involved in baseball after he retired in 1928. So he was sort of out of circulation. People, and and with, the, with the, also the key thing was that there was no film of him, so people didn't have a sense of who the real man was. There's almost no film of him. But there's a little, uh, but, but precious little. Well, and they so do he, they do now, Charles. They have right. a really finally, uh, not a cartoon version, but uh, a real flesh, bone, and blood. Uh, image of of Ty Cobb, warts and all, uh, <laughs> right? And, and uh, yeah, as you as you point out, Ty Cobb was not a saint, but certainly uh, no, you know, not the monster, nowhere near the monster. Uh, and you know, as a baseball fan, I, I really have to tell you that uh, what you've done is very noble, uh, because you know, for baseball fans, we we want to look up to the the, the players that uh, really exemplified all the great aspects of the game. And we, 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 we yearn that they are, that they, they take those values off the field and exhibit them elsewhere, you know, off the playing field. And, and, uh, Ty Cobb, 
had that in him. And, and now, thanks to you, uh, we can set the record straight with our, I'll set the record straight with, with, with my boys to begin with, and hopefully the word will spread that Ty Cobb, uh, was, uh, no saint, but certainly a great man on the field and a, a pretty decent fellow off the field too. I think that's safe to say. I think it is. Thanks. It's a great American story, and it's a very entertaining story once you get the truth. And we now have it. Thank you, Charles. Charles Learson, Ty Cobb, A Terrible Beauty. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is next, the entire hour on Werewolves, another one of my favorite topics. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us.